0: You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net.
1: I want to talk about epiphany for a little bit. We have this tradition in our house on this holiday that essentially boils down to who gets to be the boss for the day? Um, who gets to be king or queen in the spirit of the three kings? Um, this chosen person gets to call the shots all day, and they don't have to do anything that they don't want to do within reason. Essentially, I hide a, like a bean, or today it was a pistachio, um, in a cake or today I put it in a frenoli from Frangeli's <laughs> near where Annie and Breezy and I live. Um, and whoever gets that pistachio or bean gets crowned king or queen for the rest of the day. Um, they get to boss everybody else around and taste some extra power. I think, it kind of, I think it wears off pretty quick, though, you know, because of the loneliness of being a, the boss, and pretty soon everybody just wants to be themselves again. But today it was Jeff. He got crowned king with one of Corey's doll tiaras, and his, his first ruling was that um, we move the Eagles kickoff until after this meeting, but I couldn't really make that happen. I'm sorry, Jeff. But the epiphany of this holiday, the real epiphany, the real revelation, um, is not really that the Magi were kings at all, but that Jesus is king. That there's this new king in town, this new authority on the scene, um, the Prince of Peace, the Savior, the King of Mercy. Um, And his presence, this is part of the epiphany, the presence of the new king calls everybody to change. Everybody's called to worship and everybody's called to change. And the whole universe is conspiring to make this new king known. That's the real epiphany. That the kingdom of God is at hand. It's ha- it's happening now. Revealed through Jesus and we're called to bow in worship like the Magi did. The Magi... They got, they got it, even from really far away. Um, they saw the signs in the sky that a new king was to be born, and they started moving. They started changing their whole lives right away. They moved with it. They started packing their bags to leave their homeland and go empty themselves at the feet of this new king where they changed some more. They really bow in worship. I love all the old paintings that um, show these, you know, these wealthy, influential guys like Prostrate on the ground before this baby. Um, They sensed his authority. They sensed that this new king is, you know, the true manifestation of God, the maker of the stars, the maker of them even, and they allow this new reality to realign their whole lives. I think they become a different people, even in response to the arrival of this new king. The other big character in the Epiphany story is the actual king at the time, the Judean king Herod that we were just singing about. And he has a very, very different response to the baby king, he won't bow to the authority of King Jesus because his whole life is organized around getting people to worship him and his fragile ego. He he actually created a literal mountain in the desert um, that his tomb that Herodium sits on on top of, um, so that people could worship him even after he's dead. He's threatened by the news of this new king, and so he tries to protect the power and the authority that he thinks he has. And so I wanna I want to um juxtapose these two different responses to Jesus, Herod's and the Magi's here for a couple minutes because I think it I think they kind of contain what all people can do with Jesus. They can um Respond to Jesus' authority in, in either one of these two basic ways all day long. I think we can do this too. We either recognize and celebrate his greatness by bowing our lives and our hearts and worshiping with our whole lives like the Magi, or we build monuments to defend our fragile autonomy. So let's read the story in Matthew 2. and somebody read it out loud for us who has very good vision?
0: After Jesus was born in the in the the time of the earth, now that of the earth was born, where is the one who was the one the Jews? We saw the star when it rose, and it comes to worship him. When he heard this, he was and all her people with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where are the Messiah's to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judah, they were called. For this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means loosed among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from their names that time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped and they perceived where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with a gift of gold, specimens, and milk. And having been warned in the dream not to go back to home, they returned to their country by another death. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and his queen to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Herod was going to search for the child So he got up with the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, and he stayed until the death of day. And so was so fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Sephardim and to the thing, 2 years old home.
1: So, so Herod is this pretty monstrous character, but I think we, see, we actually see his way of doing things still reflected all over the world today. Herod's way is the instinct to attack when we feel threatened, um, the impulse to organize all of our resources for our own Self-preservation and advancement, to think ourselves larger than God. That's the way of Herod. Unfortunately, we see this in our nation's foreign policy all the time, um, which is probably why we find ourselves here on the brink of war with Iran. Herod the Great, he, he was known as Herod the Great, even though he was so hated. Um... Even during his reign, he spent his 34-year reign building these massive, impersonal, um, all kinds of things, architecture that that, um, attracted big crowds. Here here are some of the structures. He built, um, he used thousands of imported workers and Roman tax dollars to build amphitheaters. He built seven palaces. Hippodromes, shrines, fortifications, aqueducts, forums, roads, new and restored cities, fountains. And his crowning achievement was the restored um, temple in Jerusalem. But he pretty much built that just to keep the, the pesky religious Jews happy. You're not pesky, Ben. Ben is a Jew. Um, anyway... I don't know, I just looked at you in that, I know, I know, that was just not intentional. Um, he even, um, like I said before, his, bur- his burial place was that literal mountain in the desert. Um, he even arranged for Jewish elders to be killed at the exact same time that he would die so that there would be loud mourning in the land when he died. And, and luckily, that didn't happen. They, the, they had these poor elders like captive, but they didn't kill, kill them. Um, but still, everywhere you go now in Israel, Palestine, you can see evidence of Herod's success, his worldly success. He maintained it with, pow- with force. That was his power. Um, he killed his uncle. His mother-in-law, Alexandra, he killed three of his sons who threatened his power. He, every time he would go away on business, his favorite wife, I think he had like 10 of them or something. His favorite one, though, Mirame, was supposed to be killed if he didn't come back because he didn't want anybody else to have her. She was never killed that way. She act, He actually killed her herself when he suspected her of infidelity. He possessed people like things. And so he treats Jesus in the same way. I, I think we often tend to treat God like we treat other people. And Herod will not relate to, to Jesus as a person. He will not divest his power. In the face of this of this great change, Herod refuses to change. I think this is his real downfall. He refuses to change, and so he causes more destruction. And it's also sad because in spite of all of Herod's efforts to get people to worship him, you know, to build his legacy, nobody actually worships at the temple of Herodium, but millions of people flock to the lumpy little church of the nativity that's built over the cave where Jesus was born. The magi, on the other hand, they divest all of their power. Um, they, had, they had some power and resources, too, and they lay it all down in vulnerability um, to move toward Jesus, in this posture of honor and love. I, I love Rembrandt's version uh, with that first magi getting so close to the baby there. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the most common Greek word for worship is proskuneo, which means to kiss. So, worship means to kiss. I think the Magi seem to come for that intimacy with the baby Jesus. They come with reverence, you know, clear from the other side of the world, from from a whole different culture. They move in real close. They want to be really close to the mystery, to the authority, to the wonder of this new king. They want to be one with God. So I think we can either respond to Jesus like Herod or like the Magi. We can try to minimize his influence and build our own legacy, or we can move in with a kiss in worship. I think there are lots of ways that we can get close to the baby this year as a, as a people together. Our Circle of Peacemakers team was leading us yesterday at City Hall. There's art protesting the war in Iran. Dr. Marguerite, who has a big, she's our hosting team leader, she has a big corporate job too. She was here yesterday morning welcoming new moms who are learning to breastfeed. And Scott Clinton, who works for Amtrak and does lots of other important things, too. He was here this afternoon with Chris Pahalski and Jeff and Ben hanging up our signs. Two of the three of them got up. All of these people have lots of other things to do. But they're organizing their extensive power and resources, not, not to build their own empires, but to worship this baby king and make him known. And I think that makes them very wise indeed. Even Jesus practiced this vulnerability, this, this posture of worship, and humility as he got older. He, he even he, he dove in completely. He organized his whole life around worshiping the Father, even though he was God himself. Um, even to the point of getting, getting in the water when John was baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus didn't have any sins to be forgiven, but he got in the water, our water, out of love, to show his deep identification with us in our situation. And when he did, the the heavens opened up. And God spoke in this audible voice. This is my beloved son who brings me great joy. So probably my favorite part of the epiphany story is, is this right here how it seems like the whole universe is conspiring in these two stories. The whole universe is conspiring to expand the reach of God's love. From the extraordinary star that guided the Magi on their long journey to the heaven opening up in this moment of revelation of Jesus' identity, his authority, his belovedness, It seems like heaven and earth are are working together here to establish this new kingdom of mercy. And that is still happening. I think heaven is working for us to to help us help everyone else know of God's love. I have some lovely new neighbors next door to my house now. They just moved in. And uh, I got to meet them this week. And just hours after I met them, Bill Walton, who's at our Northwest congregation, he texted me and he said, "Excuse me," he said, "Hey, I, uh, I, I invited my coworker. I just invited my coworker to game night." And he said, "He lives right next door to you now." He was like, "Oh, Circle of Hope. I live right right next door to Circle of Hope." I think that's, that's the whole universe um, conspiring to expand the reach of God's love, making these connections between people. So I want to challenge you, along with myself, to move toward the king in worship this year in a, in a bigger way, with all of our resources with all of our desire, like the Magi, just to really go for it. What, what would it look like to really totally go for it? Not holding back, but coming in closer to the baby king. Just think about it for a second. What would that look like for you? To lay all of your gifts at, at Jesus's feet in worship this year, what would that what would that even look like? To to dive into the waters of baptism with Jesus and and hear that voice of favor, I guarantee that if if we do this together, the heavens will open for us too. We will see God work. He will bring healing and hope to the places that we need it and the places in the world that need it most too.
0: Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.